0: It's Friday, February 25th, 2022. My wife, Carla, and I are walking our dogs, Lily and Leo, around our neighborhood. A cloudless Indiana sky covers us, blue and perfect. Late winter finds asylum and milky smudges of frost under the shade of the trees, but that refuge is temporary. The southern tilt to the breeze will banish these last few reminders of cold soon enough. I pull my phone from my coat pocket and check for a notification from Lisa even though I didn't feel a vibration or hear an alert sound. Nothing. Again. It's a reflex now. A nervous habit I've repeated countless times over the last 17 days. That's how long Lisa and I have been waiting for a response from Mary at the bank about the request to forgive Lisa's car loan. We don't know why it's taking so long for the bank to make a decision, and we're both frustrated by the silence. I'd emailed Mary a few days prior to confirm that she'd actually received Lisa's message. Mary's emailed response to me was a five-word spasm.
1: Yes, options are being reviewed.
0: No dear Andy greeting, no thank you send-off. Mary's pleasantries have disappeared along with any sense of urgency. To stay focused on who is really important here, I think about what Lisa's been going through. She's the one with terminal cancer, the one in constant pain the one who has lost a third of her income and still has to figure out how to pay for her prescriptions and therapies and groceries and house payment and car payment. She's infinitely more worried about, invested in, and affected by the bank's ultimate decision about her car loan. Without having that $398 car payment every month, her journey gets easier, her time with her children and her grandchildren sweeter, her memories brighter, fuller, happier. In the middle of this reverie, though, my phone vibrates. I rip it out of my pocket and look at the screen. It's a Facebook Messenger notification from Lisa. I come to a dead stop on the walking trail. I press the notification icon to view the message, and it's a screenshot of an email from Mary to Lisa. It reads,
2: Good
1: morning. I am very sorry to hear about what you are going through. I'm certain this has to be a terrible physical and mental burden before you experience the financial strain of being reduced to two-thirds income. I do have a way to help, but I won't be able to meet your initial request. Since your message, I reached out to senior leaders in auto lending to see what options we may have to help you. I have found that we don't forgive a car loan, but we can suspend monthly payments on your account. I'm glad to put this in place for three months, and then I'll reach out to you again after three months. Please let me know if you would like me to do this for you.
0: I hang my head and let go a long, quavering sigh through teeth clenched in overwhelming frustration and disappointment. I drop my chin to my chest, and Carla wraps her arm around my waist. I lift the phone back up and read the comments that Lisa added to the screenshot. She says, America is so full of greed, I'm not surprised at all by the bank's response. At least you tried, and I appreciate your efforts. My view of the screen swims as hot, angry tears well up in my eyes. I reread Mary's message again, paying particular attention to her statement.
1: We don't forgive a car loan.
0: We don't forgive a car loan, not we can't forgive a car loan. They aren't prevented from forgiving it, they just don't want to do it. Lily places her front paws on my leg and lifts her snout to gently lick my hand, just like she did with Lisa. That's because Lily knows. Lisa knows. And now, so do you. I sat down with Lisa a few weeks later to talk about what happened. What was your reaction when you first heard that the bank was considering the request to forgive your car loan?
2: I was excited. Yeah? I was like, I know they're going to work out something. Mm -hmm. Maybe not a full payment, but they're going to do something. 50% off, they're going to do something. Mm -hmm. And I was heartbroken when they did nothing.
0: (laughs) Did they ever ask for any additional information before they gave you a decision?
2: No. No, I've been offered... uh, hospice contact, doctor's information, to send more medical records. They didn't request anything back.
0: Was that surprising to you? Were you frustrated by that? Or is it just kinda like, ah, that's just just par for the course. I don't expect them to do any follow-up.
2: In reality, I was hoping, but then again, you know, this is America. We're willing to help other countries and states, but we don't help our own people. You know, it's just like, we always give to people who already have, and the needy people are truly left out. So, I was like, if this goes through, it's gonna be a miracle. Uh, I had my hopes up, but then I didn't have my hopes up.
0: So when they told you, you know, they're gonna pause the payments for three months, what'd you think about that?
2: They had already offered that. when When I very first went out on disability, I contacted them and I'm like, hey, going through cancer, my checks have been reduced, what can you do? And they offered that same three months. And I'm like, that's not helpful because Then three months, I go back to work, and then I still have all the back payments to do on things. So three months is nothing.
0: Right. Like you said, you're still having interest accrue. I mean, this is basically, for them, they're making more money off of you. Right. If none of this had even been talked about. Right. The bank's offer is a terrible deal for Lisa. Mary's offer of...
1: We can suspend monthly payments on your account.
0: Sounds great on its face, but suspending three of Lisa's $398 monthly payments doesn't mean those payments disappear. If forgiving those installments was what the bank had intended, Mary would have said so. But since Mary only mentioned a suspension, those payments are going to be added to the end of Lisa's loan, which makes this a great deal for the bank. $4.73 in interest will accrue every day, If Lisa agrees to suspend payments for 90 days, another $430 in accrued interest will be added to the balance of Lisa's car loan, an extra payment, and then some. If Lisa takes the bank's offer, she'll be paying them more than if she'd never asked them to forgive the loan in the first place. Of course the bank is
1: glad to put this in place
0: and get a little extra out of Lisa, three months at a time. If Lisa doesn't, she gets no relief. In the end, Lisa declines the bank's offer because it's like the Samaritan tossing a blanket toward the naked, half-dead traveler and then walking away, leaving the traveler by the side of the road to fend for herself but promising to come back with another blanket in three months, along with a bill for both blankets. There's another aspect of the situation that we need to address. This wasn't a question I was... Prepared to ask initially when we first started this, but I I think it I I need to ask it now this This particular institution has been sued repeatedly for and has paid fines for racially discriminatory behavior Do you think the fact that you're african-american had anything to do with their decision?
2: I'm not sure I would hope not But I will tell you this when I found out that my car loan was going to be this particular branch I was very concerned and very nervous. Okay. Why, why so? Because of the background that they have. And like I said, when this uh, particular institution picked my loan, and I went out there and started reading, because I had heard that they had a bad rap on other things as well. And like I said, I became very nervous, very nervous.
0: Although the bank chose not to forgive Lisa's car loan, this effort hasn't been for nothing. There is hope to be found in the following epilogues. Three days after the decision of the bank's consumer lending division, in an effort to appeal it, I email the bank's philanthropic division. I tell them about Lisa's situation and the decision of the consumer lending area to refuse to forgive Lisa's loan. I ask this philanthropic division, which provides grants and other assistance to build a more inclusive, sustainable future for all, to do exactly that for Lisa, to use the smallest portion of their reserves to pay off Lisa's loan. Nothing in this corner of the bank's website, though, indicates that these grants are for helping an individual, but it's worth a try. I get not one, but two voicemails over consecutive days from an employee named Gorin, who assures me that their institution is looking into my request, and they just, just
2: wanted to inform you, Mr. Jennings. we have received your
0: email and we are currently reviewing um, your concerns. Uh, once we have the resolution on the case, we will definitely reach out with an update. Please note, we strive uh, to provide the resolution within 10 business days. However, sometimes it might go over that time period
2: as well. Thank you so much.
0: Goran's qualifier is prophetic. He provided his direct phone number, and I called him numerous times on it. Each call went to his voicemail, and I left one. I'm still waiting for a return call from him, or an email response from any of his teammates in the division of Lisa's Bank, dedicated to philanthropy, inclusion, financial health, and sustainable futures for all. But this isn't the dead end that it seems. I met with the CEO of a large credit union to ask him to consider forgiving the debt his credit union holds for members with terminal cancer. During that meeting, I reminded him that I'm not asking him to pay off all the debt that a terminal cancer patient owes to every lender, but rather to forgive the debt that the patient has at just that institution. This CEO was intrigued by the notion and even said that his credit union does occasionally forgive debt and he would bring up the idea to his executive team. A few days later, the CEO emailed me that the exec team feels that what we have in place with our financial counseling and loss mitigation teams is working, but he would notify me if they did have a story to share about assisting a terminal cancer patient. Although it's been nearly two months since that message, and he hasn't shared any stories with me yet, the fact that his credit union has previously forgiven debt means that they may do it again. Friends and colleagues have suggested that rather than being a personal advocacy project, end a terminal debt should it be instead run as a national nonprofit charity that finds terminal cancer patients, then raises funds to pay off their credit cards, car loans, personal loans, and mortgages directly, which is actually how this whole project was first envisioned back in August of 2021. A national nonprofit charity seemed like the best structure and strategy at the time But the numbers don't support that model, though. I've estimated that there are a little over 4 million terminal cancer patients in America. To help even 40,000 of them, just 1%, pay off just $1,000 of debt, which is the cost of maybe a few weeks of chemotherapy drugs at best, that national nonprofit version of end terminal debt would have to raise over $40 million a year, a massive fundraising and logistical challenge, especially for a completely new nonprofit that could only provide a fraction of the amount needed for only a fraction of the patients who need it. But there could be another way. Rather than creating one massive national nonprofit for terminal cancer patients across the country, a financial institution could instead create their own nonprofit that specifically pays off the debt for their customers and members with terminal cancer. It would be similar to the philanthropic division of Lisa's Bank. Now, even though they failed miserably for Lisa, the concept is still worth considering. Such a hyper local and hyper focused nonprofit could also dramatically improve the communication between financial institutions and terminal and non terminal cancer patients, up to 73% of whom are going to face catastrophic financial distress because of their diagnosis. Right now, the vast majority of cancer patients do not talk to their financial institution because they're terrified that the institution can't or won't help them when help is needed the most. Lisa's story is proof that that fear is very well-founded. Much more research is needed into the viability of these financial institution-sponsored, hyper-local, hyper-focused nonprofits for terminal cancer patients. Much more investigation necessary into the legal, regulatory, and operational details to make them work. But I believe it can be done though. The first institution to figure it out will quite literally save lives, and so will every other institution that follows their example. It's a worthy effort, because terminal cancer patients struggle every day, while lenders bury them in late notices, throw them out of their homes, repossess their cars, freeze their accounts or ignore them for weeks at a time before deciding that forgiving a debt is something they just don't do. Financial institutions must summon the courage to step up and be the good Samaritan and bind up the wounds of the terminal cancer patients all around them. They've got much more than the 32 cents I referred to in the previous episode jangling around in their pocket. In 2020 alone, banks... Credit unions, credit card companies and the top 15 mortgage lenders in America, collectively, made 353 billion in profit. Whether through direct forgiveness or their own nonprofit, these institutions could deliver, arguably, the greatest act of financial mercy in human history. The time is certainly right. The coronavirus pandemic showed all of us in sobering detail. What happens when a health crisis meets a financial crisis? This reality, hard as it has been for all of us, is what too many cancer patients, especially terminal ones, live with on a daily basis. Perhaps that's why on February 2, 2022, President Joe Biden relaunched the Cancer Moonshot, a program that first began in 2016 under President Obama. Here's President Biden sharing the Moonshot's three goals. We'll bring a fierce sense of urgency to the fight against cancer. The goal is to cut the cancer death rate in half in the next 25 years, at least by 50 percent. And to turn more cancer and death sentences into chronic diseases that people can live with. To create a more supportive experience for patients and their families. And by doing these things and more, to end cancer as we know it. I have to believe that improving the financial health of cancer patients, especially terminal ones, is part of creating a more supportive experience for patients and families. But the Cancer Moonshot announcement never mentioned the role that financial institutions can and must play in helping the patient survive cancer's financial, physical, and emotional devastation. Banks, credit unions, credit card companies, and mortgage lenders are the missing piece. Without their interest and investment, we can't even walk across the street to help our fellow man, let alone fly to the moon. Lisa is still worried about running out of money. The bills don't stop, neither do the financial headaches she endures every day, the painful decisions about what to pay, what to go without, and for how long. Her bank had the chance to ease her pain, but they didn't. And Lisa will continue to pay the price for their inflexibility. But she has the love and support of friends and family though, who took Lisa out for her birthday recently to the finest steakhouse in the city. And they ate until they were sleepy. How'd they get there? In a huge stretch limousine, her friends and family rented for her an act of grace and generosity funded by people who see her and adore her and would go to the moon and back for her to put a smile on her face that cancer and banks and bills and stress will never touch. I've asked Mary and the bank's board of directors to sit for an interview for this podcast to ask them why they don't forgive car loans, why they decided to suspend Lisa's payments for only three months at a time, why they charged her nearly three times the market rate for her car loan, Ask him if Lisa's race had anything to do with their decision and why their philanthropic division failed to follow through on their commitment to get back to me. Neither Mary nor the bank's board have responded to my questions. But the most important questions for the CEO and leaders of Lisa's bank, the questions with the most power to change their minds, and maybe yours too, come from Lisa herself.
2: I would like to ask him you know, if this, if he had family members in his condition. How would he want a bank to handle them? If, if you were in my shoes and this was your family, would you be okay with the decision that you made for me? Or would it be different?
0: Thank you very much for listening to Season 1 of the End Terminal Debt Podcast. Please subscribe to and share the show on social media and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. Season 2 will be released later in 2022. To support this project, please visit EndTerminalDebt.com. The End Terminal Debt podcast is written by me, Andy Janning. Music by Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Produced and edited by Resonate Recordings. Graphic design by Ryan Hunley of Second Street Creative. Special thanks to Dr. Omar Atik, Renee White, Carla Tardif, George Hoffheimer, James Marshall, Cedric Brinson, Louise Jackson, Brian Moore, Lauren Callahan, my wife Carla, and our daughters, Megan and Lauren. And most of all, from the bottom of my grateful heart, thank you to Lisa for sharing your journey with all of us.